So, in the mid-1950s, in rural Pennsylvania, in Bucks County, my grandfather and grandmother had a small family, four kids, my dad being the baby of the crew, and three older sisters. And in this uh, very normal day on the family farm, my grandfather went out to, uh, to work, do what he did, and he was sharpening his farm tools on a sharpening stone, which at this time, instead of just having the, having the mill that you push with your foot, they had figured out that if you flip the tractor over, you can put it on the tractor axle and spin it really quick. But on this day, the stone broke apart, striking my grandfather in the head, killing him instantly. And his daughters rushed to the scene and tried to revive him or help him, unable to do so. You know, he was gone. And my father was only one and a half years old. My grandmother never remarried. She couldn't find a man that had a similar enough philosophy of life to her that it made sense. She was a wonderful uh, Pennsylvania Dutch lady with com high common sense and uh, valued education very highly. And she didn't feel that men around her town valued the same things that she did and wanted to invest in academics. And so she didn't remarry. So my dad was raised in the middle of nowhere, kind of, at the time. Mom, three sisters, not seeing, very, not seeing hide nor hair of many men or, or father figures. And that's what happened. And someone explained to me why this happened to our family. And the answer is, even if you had an idea in your mind, you wouldn't say it because it's a tragedy. It's unexplainable. Something happened. It changed the family forever. I'm sure that it changed my life somehow that I don't understand and my siblings' lives. And for generations, it changed our family. But I couldn't really tell you the answer as to how it makes sense or why it was helpful to anybody. If I had my wish in my own wisdom, I'd say it would have been better if my grandfather had lived. My dad could have had a father. You know, my aunts could have had a dad. Um, someone to teach and to walk alongside him um, and to help him. Today's sermon explores a problem that each of us has or will encounter as we face pain and suffering in our lives. For some of us, the question has screamed in our faces and punched us in the gut. And I am very sensitive to those of you who have walked in more pain than I understand at this point in my life than I could ever imagine. Loss, sickness, sense, senseless tragedy. And the pain of people who accuse you of wrongdoing on your part and make you feel worse on top of the tragedy you've experienced. The problem that we everyone faces is the problem of pain. And it goes something like this. If God is all-loving, all-good, and all-powerful, then why does he allow suffering in our lives and in the lives of other people? Why? This is a question I would like an answer to uh, concerning a few things that have happened in our lives, even in recent day, days in the last 10 years that have shaken and rocked our family's world. Events that they have not, we've not received answers for things I don't even feel like talking about in a sermon, right? 
the why question, why do these things happen, touches a part of our heart that is wounded and still in pain many times. If God loves me, and if God is powerful, then why did this happen to me or the people that I love? I would hesitate to insult anybody by giving them a, a great answer this morning. But I do want to direct our attention to the Word of God revealed in Scripture. The book of the Bible called Job. Probably the oldest book in the Bible. The most ancient book written, predating probably Abraham around that time. Um, this is a book we just finished reading as a church this past Friday in our Bible readings. And the, the ideas in this book, while not providing those solid answers we'd look for, shake us and transform our understanding of life and of God if we'll, let, if we'll let it work its work. So Job is 42 chapters long. So it's very ambitious to preach a sermon on Job. I'll, I'll admit that. It's very long. It took us several weeks to read the book. So summarizing what happens in the book is difficult, but I feel like it's necessary. So with some help from uh, a summary... I offer the following to give us some context of this book. So Job was a wealthy man living in a land called Uz with his large family and extensive flocks of animals. It was a time when they were shepherds and they were nomadic. He is called blameless and he is called upright. Very careful to avoid doing evil according to the Bible. Um, in the first, uh, first chapter and first verse. He was such a righteous man that out of concern that his children had accidentally caused some kind of offense against God, he offered sacrifices to cover their sins too, just to be safe. And he was like a pretty good guy who took God pretty seriously. He really wanted to honor God so badly uh, deep within. So, so a scene that we get privy to in the, in the first chapter, uh, the accuser, Satan, comes before God's counsel in heaven. And God talks to Satan about Job's goodness. And Satan says, ah, Job is only good because you've blessed him abundantly. You know, if you took away the blessings in Job's life, Job would curse you. So Satan challenges God with that. And God allows Satan to torment Job to test this bold claim. But he forbids Satan to take Job's life. So Job has no warning that this is about to happen to him. But something has happened in the heavens that Job has not, had not been privy to, and now his life is about to change. So in the course of one day, Job receives four messages from his messengers, each bearing a separate bit of news that his livestock, his servants, and his ten children have all died due to attacking invaders and natural catastrophes. So Job just tears his clothes and shaves his head in mourning, but he honors and blesses God in his prayers praising God in the midst of that suffering. So Satan appears in heaven again before God after this, and, and God grants Satan another chance to test Job. And this time, Job is afflicted with skin sores. So he actually afflicts Job's body. And Job's wife encourages him to curse God, give up, and die. So I think the only way that Job's wife survived this whole thing and wasn't killed by Satan was by being a very discouraging wife. So if you'd like to live longer, wives. No, I'm only kidding, but I found that to be funny in my sense of humor. Um, so, uh, so this is his closest companion telling him, curse God and die. And Job continues to trust and believe God um, and, and, and kind of says, please just 
don't talk to me about this. This is not good. So three of Job's friends, his, his good friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, come to visit him, and they sit with Job in silence for seven days, which I think is fantastic. Out of respect for his mourning. I think that's a pretty good response for a friend to sit silently with their friend who's mourning and not offer input right away. But on the seventh day, Job begins a conversation with them, and each of those four men shares their thoughts on Job's misfortune in his life. And it's very long and poetic. I really think it would be a great piece of work to read. It's a beautiful book. Um, but, but it shares some, some of their philosophy as to why Job has had this tragedy befall him. So Job says, first of all, that he wishes that he'd never been born and that he could just die. So that's where he's at. He's not doing so well. Eliphaz responds that Job, who has comforted other people very well, now has proven that he never really understood those people's pain. You know, he throws it in his face and says, hey, you're not, you're not very compassionate, are you, Job? Look at you. Now you're suffering, and you never really sympathized with people, did you? Not very helpful. So take notes as a friend, okay? When someone's suffering, take notes on how not to be uh, a comforter like this. So Eliphaz believes that Job's agony must be due to some sin Job has committed, and he urges Job to seek God's favor and to repent. So Bildad and Zophar agree that Job must have done something horrible to offend God's justice and argue that he should strive to exhibit more blameless behavior in the future. This is all while he's scratching himself with a piece of pottery in the midst of a ruined life. Bildad says that Job's children actually brought their deaths upon themselves too. They must have been wicked also. This is is rough. Um, Even worse, uh, Zophar implies that whatever wrong Job has done he probably deserves a worse punish- punishment than he's received. So these are his friends. So Job listens to them for a long time, in like 13 chapters. And then uh, he gets irritated, he gets sarcastic. Sometimes people that are sarcastic are, max- are masking their grief and pain. Keep that in mind. Um, Job says, you guys are worthless physicians. You guys whitewash with lies. You're like throwing white paint on the tragedy of my life, trying to make it all clean, saying that I'm this bad person, God's punishing me. This is bull. That's what he says. And Job begins to be a philosopher, as, any, as many people in pain do. He says, why would God judge people by their actions if God can just as easily alter their actions if he's all-powerful, or just forgive their behavior? Also, Job is very frustrated at this time because he, he feels like he's on trial from God, but God is not seen anywhere. He can't find God. He doesn't know where God is. He can't locate God. He can't sense God. So he feels like he's just sort of, even if he wanted to try to defend himself or get some answers, God's not around. So he feels like he needs an advocate, someone to advocate to God before him to plead his case. But there's no one there. So in the midst of all this philosophy and this pain that Job is processing, you know, he still honors God. You know, he very much honors God, and God honors Job by giving him the space to, to be in the midst of this great trial. So Job's friends, on the other hand, are very offended that he has scorned their wisdom. You know, oh goodness, how could you think that we gave you bad advice? And they think that all of his questions and philosophy are just a crafty way of getting out of uh, taking responsibility. Because if, if you get hurt, something bad happens to you, it's your fault. That's what they believe. That's their world. And uh, Job continues to insist that there's a, there's a witness, there's a redeemer who has his back. And somehow this is all going to come through for him. 
But he laments at this time, as many of you probably have lamented. Why do the wicked prosper? People that don't care at all about God and don't, want, don't try to honor him and live for themselves and even perform horrific acts in, in our world towards other human beings. They're sitting in their palaces. They're rich. They're dying of old age. But here I am, God, offering sacrifices on things that my kids might have done, and I'm getting smited here. Um, this is Job's suffering. Like, why do wicked people seem to be, get a free card? And here I am. I don't think I've done anything wrong. And I'm getting punished here. That's what he feels. But he, in all of this, reaffirms his desire to persist in pursuing wisdom, try to find out what's going on, and by fearing God and avoiding evil, avoid cursing God. So then we get a surprise friend, a bonus friend. Friend number four, Elihu. He's a pretty good guy. Uh, he enters a conversation, and he has a couple different explanations for Job. He says, God communicates with humans by two ways, visions and physical pain. You know, if you, if you suffer physically, then you know what, then you can really appreciate when God heals you. That's what he kind of says. You get to know uh, God. Um, God has taken care of you in that case. But even Elihu assumes that Job must have done something. He kind of hints at it to make this happen to him in his life. So finally, God, who's been silent for quite a while, for 38 chapters, try to be more patient than God, right? One of the fruit of his spirit is patience. So for 38 chapters, he's been quiet. Finally, he shows up, and he shares for, I think, four chapters, some interesting information uh, that we could certainly add to, even, even in our scientific age when we seem to have, know how everything works the mysteries of the world that only God can know. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. I think that Job probably feels fear and relief that God is finally talking to him. His first question, Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand who marked off its dimensions. Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb when I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place? When I said, this far you may come and no farther. Here's where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light and their upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the shadows of death? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me, if you know all this. you see where this is going? <sighs> Turns out, God is the creator. And this goes on for a few chapters. And it's beautiful, by the way. And I really think you should read it. Beautiful writing. God is the creator. And there are things that God knows and understands that Job knows and, and cannot, does not know and cannot understand. God is a holy different. One of the things that 
blows my mind about God is just, just the instincts that he puts inside of animals. We recently, and I, I've shared this before because I think it's the most beautiful thing in, in the world. We, 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 we take these butterflies into our house and they, they make chrysalises, you know, the, the, the little dudes, caterpillars. They make chrysalises, they hang upside down, and then a butterfly comes out. Then they get out and fly to Mexico where they die. And no one knows why or how they do that. I mean, before MapQuest, I couldn't get anywhere, you know? I was terrible at maps. But these, by instinct, these butterflies get where they're going because the Creator puts something in them that we don't fully understand. Maybe someday we will. It's an instinct. It's a drive to go from a caterpillar to a butterfly and then fly to Mexico. So you tell me, how does that work? I don't know. I don't know how that works. And everything that God shares in this uh, whole narrative to Job are just things that Job couldn't possibly know how they work. He's given Job a context in which to analyze his own life and suffering. And he's reminding Job that he is all-knowing. He is all-wise. He is all-powerful. And perhaps most importantly, that he is all-loving. He loves his creation. He loves the people he's created. Otherwise, he wouldn't take the time to talk to Job. And then just for for good measure, God says to Job, and your friends were wrong, and you should pray for them. <laughs> Which is some vindication. I appreciate that from God. And Job does pray for them, and they're restored. But guess what? God never tells Job why. And that's the disturbing part of the story. He talked for a long time about all the cool things he knew that Job didn't know but never told Job about the heavenly council or what the heck was going on up there or why the suffering had come. And really, even with that inner look that we get in the book, we do not fully understand how all that worked or why or how that looked in the global, uh, global battle that God is fighting against dark, dark, darkness and evil in the world. We don't know. But Job, when he heard from God finally, he was just overwhelmed, and he, he acknowledged, you know, God, you have unlimited power. And I, I'm limited in my knowledge, and I'm going to throw myself on your mercy and trust you. It says in Job 42, Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. You're all-powerful. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you will answer me. My ears have heard you, and now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. In light of God's presence revealed to Job, he's satisfied. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And all of a sudden, everything just fell into place for him. You know, this suffering... Um, in the midst of this suffering and this mystery, I know that God is good. Oh, that God is all-powerful. That God is all-wise. And that God is working a mysterious plan that I don't have the ability to fully understand. This, is, this pattern that Job went through with God is very similar to how suffering goes on for many people in their lives as well. We kind of have this inner sense that we're going to, if we don't know now, we're going to find out someday why. 
And that is true, but it might not be in this lifetime because Job never found out in this lifetime and he was more righteous than probably any of us. But this kind of cycle of suffering and misunderstanding that Job went through is something that we go through as well. Something terrible happens to us or to someone that we love. Something we can't even talk about without choking up. And we have no answers. We don't know why God allowed this to happen. And well-meaning friends give answers like, everything happens for a reason. Thanks, buddy. (laughs) Not in the Bible. But it's supposed to be biblical, but it's not biblical. Look it up. It's kind of like a whitewash on someone's pain, right? Everything happens for a reason. Let's move on. Perhaps worse is our inner accuser. And this is where I think a lot of us stumble who follow Jesus Christ. Why would God allow this? And you say to yourself, I must have done something to anger God. He's punishing me. Now, is it possible that there's something in your life that you're receiving discipline for? Absolutely, but it's not always the case. It's not always the case that something happens because God is punishing you. Um, Natural consequences come upon people for behaviors that are sinful and destructive in the world, in their lives and other people's lives. But sometimes bad things happen and it's not because someone has done something wrong. You're not being punished. But the accuser lives on inside of us, telling us, you're the, you're the problem. And keeping us from that relationship with, with God, which we so desperately need at this time in our life. Something Job's fourth friend, Elihu, said in Job 36.4, caught my ear when he said, quote, one who has perfect knowledge is with you. Pastor Soper pointed out, some people have interpreted this as Elihu saying, I have perfect knowledge and here I am. But really another way to read that would be to say that, look, Job, something's going on in your life and someone with perfect knowledge is with you even if you don't feel it. And that, I think, is a much more likely interpretation. And if it's not the right interpretation, that's why I'm taken from it. The God who has perfect knowledge is with Job, and Job can rest in that fact and trust in God. There's a sense in which the presence of God with Job can be, like an answer, satisfying. But unlike an answer, unresolved, right? Like, the one who knows what's going on is with me. And that's an answer in itself. In a sense, God is saying to Job, you don't need to know all the answers if you know and trust the one who holds all wisdom, all power, and all knowledge, and rest in him in the midst of suffering, trials, and pain. I love what, what Jesus said, God in the flesh, in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, Come to me, you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You don't need to know all the answers if you have the one who has all the answers with you. This is a good answer to some of the suffering we go through. John Soper said, if you think about the power of God long enough, if you contemplate the wisdom of God deeply enough, if you believe by faith that he is just and loving, you will end up, even if you're sitting on an ash heap, in worship. Like Job, all of us have passed or will pass through unexplained suffering in our lives. It's something that is not acknowledged very much in our worship choruses or our conversations, but it's all through the Bible. Romans 8, which I read this morning, talks about, we know you're suffering, just remember, 
God is there and he's working. It's, it's all through the Bible if you'll have eyes to see it. There's a huge amount of theology about suffering and about expecting suffering and it's not telling you because you're, you did something wrong. It's because you're in a broken, fallen world that it happens. Job, one of the oldest books of the Bible, First Peter, one of the newer ones, um, has this comment on suffering. It's kind of a blanket statement of advice for every Christian who goes through unexplained and seemingly meaningless sense of suffering. And it says in 1 Peter 1, 3-9, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though for now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Listen, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your soul. As we walk through suffering, resting and trusting in the one that has the answers, while we ourselves do not have answers, we are, in a sense, receiving the end result of our faith as we walk in the here and now. We already have it, but it's not yet fulfilled fully. We've all suffered, some more than others. I question why some people suffer so much. Why does it seem like they get hit with thing after thing after thing? Um, why? We all have questions that are not answered satisfactorily about suffering. We all have suffered under false comforters and false accusers, uh, giving us platitudes without understanding and whitewashing us. Well, God says, keep talking. Peter tells us that God will use all of this suffering to prove the genuineness of our faith in the one who holds all the answers, our Father God. And that simple rest and trust in God's wisdom, power, and love for us will result in praise, glory, and honor for us when Christ is revealed, when we get to sit in God's counsel and ask him our why questions. I think on that day when we know God, even as we are fully known uh, by him, our questions are going to melt like butter. As we see the manifestation of love and goodwill towards us that God has, and we see the bigger plan that he was working in our world that we were a part of without knowing it, as we are joyfully reunited with those who have died in Christ before us, we will find satisfaction of full rest in the good shepherd of our souls, fully known, fully loved, fully comforted, fully forgiven. So in our hearts, as we walk through this life and the suffering that it brings, let's say with Job, I know you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears have heard you, but now my eyes have seen you. For now we see our lives and God as in a reflection, as in a mirror. But then we shall see him face to face. Now we know in part. 
Then we will know fully, even as we are fully known. And God's great love is the foundation of it all. God describes himself many places in scriptures as a potter and us as the clay. When I was dating Jackie, she bought me a beautiful coffee mug years ago, 12 years ago, and it had this awesome swipe on the side of it. And I learned that's called a scar. That's what the potter puts on as a, as a signature of this is my work. This is not dissimilar from Jesus' glorified body. When Jesus rose from the dead by the Spirit of God, his glorified body that could walk through walls and was seemed to be magical in its abilities still had the scars of suffering on it. And someday we will stand before God and I think that all of us are going to carry those scars that we walk through with God, the mystery, the pain, the suffering. And God will take all of those scars and all of those things and he will, he will take those and he will treasure them and he will explain to us how it all made sense. And as we await that day, let us put our trust in the one who knows all things, who can do all things, who loves us, who promises rest, knowing that the one who knows the answers is with us and that someday all of those scars will tell the story of his redemption, not only in our lives, but in his world. Let's sing to him.